0: So this is Joy Gilfill and host of I Change Justice, where members of the Restorative Community Coalition talk civics with people who are living in the aftermath of an arrest. People confronting the compound dilemmas, ripple effects and consequences on their family, friends and taxpayers. Listeners discretion is advised for this information can be disturbing and can trigger an emotional reaction. This is about lived experiences discussed for taxpayer education and to advance justice system reform. It is not to be used for legal advice. Hello, this is Joy with I Change Justice podcast, and we're here to speak with Kurt Kruger, four-time author of different volumes of Winning Ways for Living, And a coach for many high-performance athletes and people around the world who are in various levels of authority, or they have authority, or they use authority. Welcome to the call, Kurt. Give me an idea of why you were willing to have this conversation with me. We've worked together in a few other instances. Um, But what is it about authority, authentic authority, that intrigues you and made you willing willing to speak about this?
1: My magical life—it's—it's it's interesting because I've been an educator since uh, early, uh, I should say, mid nineteen uh, sixties, and educating from very young people to uh, elderly uh, over eighty years old, uh, it, from middle schools and regular school systems to universities, and on three continents. Um, I started something called the Institute of Sports Psychology. And my background is not in psychology. My background is in education in the inner cities where I've worked a long time. It uh, was in, uh, I had been an elite athlete in America, elite meaning that I was a collegiate uh, athlete. I was an All-American swimmer. Uh, I was on the Hall of Fame at the college that I was in and so on. But I didn't have any degrees in sports psychology. And yet I started The Institute of Sports Psychology, because I had trained people in India, one woman who set eight national records within six months of my training her in swimming. And I actually had been a swimmer. So we had something in common. And uh, then I started the uh, Success Systems International after that, because I applied it to a billionaire's company in India. His name is Bajaj. They have those three wheelers over in Asia, all over Asia. The Bajaj scooters, they're called. Uh, and he also has electrical companies on all kinds of other things. But uh trained his companies. And his. From, I said, if we're going to give a program for you, we're doing it from you. You have to be there. And you can have a secretary there, but I want everybody in all the different areas of your business to be in that program because we have to have it integrated to everybody everybody needs to be a peak performer and so on so we we i did this all i've been, I've been on only you know five continents but uh i got to get to uh antarctica for one thing and i haven't been to south america yet but inshallah that <laughs> will be
0: so part of what you're talking about here is the authority, the intellectual, emotional, and physical authority of having developed programs that are high-performance uh, programs, but you developed an authority over the material. You developed a competency. You developed a situation where other people also gave you authority. They recognized that you had an authority over your content and therefore they give you authority and then you have an opportunity to assume authority and then take control and do things and then work that authority back around in a holistic manner. Would that be fair to say?
1: Totally. And the the, the key word that you used is holistic because we follow what nature guides us in. And, And that's the beauty of, let's say, being in tune. Uh, When I gave a program at the Olympic Scientific Congress, it's the most prestigious sports sciences conference in the world. It happens every four years at the summer Olympic time. And I gave one in 1984, it was called Meditation and the Ultimate Performance in Sports. Bob Beeman was keynoting the sports psychology section. When he found out about my program, he says, that's the state of mind I was in. That's what made me get to be a sports psychologist, because I long jumped. I mean, people break records usually by fractions of inches in the Olympics. He did it by almost two whole feet. Wow. He would have jumped over my head. I'm only about six foot tall now. I was a little bit taller before, but <laughs> when you're ninety four thousand years old, you shrink. <laughs> so he, he he verified exactly what I was saying, and again, with that kind of a verification, at the eighty five World Congress in Sports Psychology, I was keynoting that, to as a keynote speaker, to bring sports psychology into business to show them how they can apply their sports psychology into a business field. Why? Because sports psychologists in those days didn't make much money. Most of them were academics. Some of them were practitioners like me, and I have studied it much more in, in the back. And in, in the meantime, because I've been published author about 50 times, uh, and we get to be able to be that authority. The key the guy that was that I made three really good friends at that conference, one of the most famous people in mindfulness in the world right now. His name is John Cabot Zinn. Okay. He's given programs at Google and Apple and everywhere else in the world. Well, I haven't done it at Google yet. Inshallah. You know, when when I get to, I get to. I'm not pressing that. I'm pressing to get everybody to do that and to really recognize who they really are, how much power each of us has. And we've seen people turn it around in prisons.
0: Let's not go there yet. I'd like to talk with you a little bit about, you know, how do you see justice and authority work? But I want to take a quick break. I'll be right back with Kurt Kruger to talk about Justice, authority in prisons, authority and you know, where does authority start and stop? Because people in different silos have different opinions of what that word authority means. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back with Kurt Kruger.
1: If you are a business owner or professional who wishes to sponsor our Restorative Community Coalition, give a legacy gift to the Restore Life Center Project, or support our fundraising events, feel free to contact us at
0: sponsors at therestorativecommunity.org. So Kurt, welcome back to the show. Talk to me about prisons. Talk to me about police authority and the idea that the only people who really have authority are people who have guns, gates, and gangs behind them. And what we're talking about here is authentic authority which it could be guns, gates, and gangs, because that's authentic too. But but how do you actually talk about this when we're talking about a world at war as opposed to a world at peace?
1: Well, the interesting thing is is I'm very much of a real stoic. And when I say that, uh, I was thinking about this man Stockwell who was in prison in Vietnam and he did not succumb to the tortures and to the prison authorities because he kept his stoic understanding
0: he what kept... does that mean what does that mean what do you mean he didn't succumb does that well, mean he didn't get tortured or he didn't
1: no he got tortured but he didn't uh-huh. succumb to the torture to give up the you know these secrets or whatever it might have been oh i see and he had that power to do that because of his Stoic understanding. He really had it tested at that time, because Stoicism is not just gritting and bearing it. It is understanding that there's some things we have in our power right now at this moment, completely in our power, and some things we don't. And we use what we have in our power to stay in our power rather than giving it up to somebody else.
0: In your authentic authority, our authentic yes, authority. That's, I just looked that's up the definition key. of stoic stoicism, and it says the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings and without complaint. And so this is a school of philosophy founded by the Zeno of Citium, whatever that means. The school Greece, yes. taught that virtue, the highest good, is based on knowledge and that wise live in harmony with the divine reason that governs nature and are indifferent to the vicissitudes of fortune and to pleasure and pain so so that's what you're talking about when you're talking about his ability it's not that he didn't get get tortured it's not that he wasn't put subject to the authorities of the time it's that he did not yield his personal dominion over what he felt and what was happening to him because he maintained his centeredness in who he was. Is that what you mean?
1: That's where you got to the source of that idea. Instead of the, 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 the thought that most people have about Stoicism is you just grin and bear it. And it's not just about grinning and bearing it. It is much more. And the key element, like you said, is this, we have total control of how our mind is going to respond so when somebody swung a knife at me i said put that away i didn't yell at him i just said put it away
0: and this was when you were a teacher in south south la
1: yes in south central la correct and it was at a school that that had a number of gangs there. and I also had some great sports teams. I mean, Daryl Strawberry went there, and, and Marcus Jackson went there, who was a basketball player, and so on. And uh, we had some really good athletes there. But, of course, we also had other people there. And most of the people were other than athletes, like normal. Uh-huh. Uh, another incident was a simple thing. I had failed somebody in government, and they're not going to graduate from high school because of it. So I'm standing outside my classroom during passing period and watching people pass by and, you know, making sure things are cool out there. And uh, this boy that I had failed, within five feet of approaching me for class, he pulls out a gun. And I looked at him. This was in 1978 or 77. It was after I was hijacked. Uh, he, he pulls out this gun and I said calmly give me the gun forcefully but calmly not fearfully uh-huh. and I think that what happened is that he didn't know what to do because he'd never seen anybody not have fear and so he gave me the gun uh-huh. he was disarmed by that presence by that authority that I had. He didn't have that authority. I took it away from him because of this presence. That's the peacemaker presence that everybody can be. And this is the power that is beyond rationality. It is more of a right brain kind of a power than a left brain power, because does it make sense? Not in your life. He has the gun. He can power. Oh, well, but he doesn't have authority over me. And that's the difference.
0: And some people would say, oh, you're just talking magical, wishful thinking and all this stuff. And, you know, there's a line to that also that there are people who, if you don't establish your own authority, if you don't know what you know, then there's a weakness in the middle of it. And people will take advantage of that. And they take authority over you because you demonstrate weakness. Now, it's also illogical because we're talking about law and justice here, you know, this is not a a lecture about how to teach you to be an authority or how to manage your authority or how to, you know, fight against the cops or fight against people who have authority. It's about learning to recognize that there is a sense of personal authority where you do have choice over who you are and how you are going to respond, which is, a bit different so in the kitchen situation of the gun that young man gave you the gun and you worked then with the authorities to the legal authorities the people who came and arrested him and took him away because you did that also you worked with and yielded the problem to someone who could talk to him and deal with that differently is that correct
1: well when this boy pulled out the gun i i called the as soon as he gave it to me I, I called the security guard he came to get the boy and i gave him the gun and he walked off i then went back into my classroom to teach okay other, other teachers who saw this whole thing just witnessed it across the hall or down the hall they went some of them went into the lounge to chill out and let their class be where they were they were so upset uh-huh. and so then on I started to be able to teach stress management and gave programs for teachers and, and so on and so forth. And that ended up me giving a program at Oxford Medical School where I have no degree for stress management, no degree in the psychology and all of that. So, uh, and also with the United Nations, I gave a program there. So it's because of the things that I have learned and experienced have worked because I've worked it. It's been my experience, but I've also passed it on to others. So this girl that I taught in in sports psychology in India, that set eight national records, right? She actually lives about 20 miles from me now, oddly enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's in California, right?
1: Yeah. So life has interesting twists and turns. And, and uh, go ahead.
0: So when you went from uh, being able to learn about authority in the school, to learn about how to command authority in the classroom, how to deal with it in the streets, eventually you ended up flying places. And I remember you told me a story about a hostage situation and what you did to manage your own power of authority in that case, because in a hostage situation, you know, they have some power.
1: Uh, they think they have the power. And and for 99.9% of them, obviously they did in this situation. Uh, they had automatic weapons, hand grenades, and they put plastic explosives at the doors wow so if somebody attacked us when we finally landed we were flying around for a good amount of time and when we landed in dhaka bangladesh i was flying out of bombay airport at the time it's now called mumbai uh we were surrounded by military and all that and uh if we would have been attacked we would have all been blown up thank god they didn't do what they did in africa where they attacked a, a plane and the whole plane got wiped out uh-huh. uh, so uh when this happened they said you know when they finally came back from the you know taking over the plane the hijackers came back You know, a couple still in the compartment because there were five of them uh they said put your arms behind your head and when They couldn't take the people's eyes looking at them with such anger or fear. They said, close your eyes, don't look at me. And after about half an hour or 45 minutes, your arms do not feel good holding them up for that long. They feel lead. They feel horrible. And I was only in my 30s at the time, early 30s. And I saw this old lady next to me and these other people ahead of me. And I thought, we got to do something. So I said, excuse me, sir. Can we put our arms down? And he points this handgun at me and he's shaking because he's never hijacked a plane. Probably, most likely. And he said, no. So I shut up. No talking. And when the... Head hijacker came up. They let us put our arms down, give them our weapons, our this and that, but we could keep our medicine and our valuables. So did that, and then we flew around for some more, and then we came in for a landing. That is not a comfortable time because nobody knows what's going to happen. We could be attacked, like I said, Or what? So this lady that was next to me, she was probably in her 60s or so, 70s maybe. I think probably 60s. So she's twice my age. And I think she's old. (laughs) And of course, when you're 94,000 years old now, it's a different story. But I turned to her and I said, calm down. Everything will be okay. Because she had started shaking and breathing funny. So I calmed her down. And interestingly enough, it seems like what happened is, because I grabbed her arm and calmed her down, I seemed to have taken it on. But I had gotten into the deepest state of meditation I'd ever been in at that time on the hijacked airplane. I did a practice that my teacher had taught me. And in this deep state of meditation, I felt supreme. I felt blissful. And here I am in this kind of situation. But when I did this, when she started shaking, I started shaking and breathing funny. Now, that I knew was a symptom of the what they call the Shakti, the meditative energy moving through your body. In India, they call it Kriyas, the spontaneous movements. So they thought I was having a heart attack. So they grabbed me out of my seat, dragged me into the first class section, and threw me on the floor. And I stopped breathing. The lady above me said, help him, he's having a heart attack. So they, the hijackers, knew so much about the plane that they got the the drugs and everything else, the, the closed heart massage they gave me. They gave me a shot for a heart attack. They gave me oxygen. And that's when my mind started thinking, is this shock going to hurt me? Because I knew the oxygen wouldn't. Will this pill hurt me? Because I knew the oxygen wasn't or the meditation wasn't. And I saw what my mind was doing to me finally. And I stopped freaking out. And I calmed down and I stayed in that state of mind until they ultimately let me off first. Wow. And that is how you get off hijacked airplanes. <laughs>
0: Now that's a different kind of authority (laughs) that we were talking about before. It's interesting because I was looking at the, the definition of authority and there's authority and authorities, of course, we've talked about that just a little bit. The official permission or sanction that someone gives you when you have the authority over someone, so like in a medical situation, you have doctors or in an emergency situation, Uh, People will take authority over your body to save your life or to do something. Uh, Sometimes you give them permission and sometimes they take the authority anyway and you don't have a choice. Then there's the kind of authority where an organization has has power. We've given people elected authority over us to make lawmaking decisions or judicial systems or. Or decisions. And so there's those kinds of authorities. And then there's the one where you take command of things and you start, like you talked about, becoming a teacher who takes command of a situation or you take command of the, of the um, company. So let's take another break and we'll come right back and talk some more about what other kinds of authority might there be that we might want to talk about when we're talking about a justice system when we're talking about people who have been arrested, taken inside, they come out and they have to reorient to the community and they have to reorient to a changed world. So what happens in that particular case? Give us some insights on that in just a minute. We'll be right back with Kurt Kruger. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find links to them and a list of our donors on our website at therestorativecommunity.org. You can also donate to support our direct services and our restorative community outreach and initiatives by clicking on the donate button. Hurt, welcome back. Let's talk about what happens to people who, when they get arrested, they lose the authority over their own life. Like in the case of of an arrest or an accident, when they take possession of your body and they put you in jail, suddenly you lose control over everything around you. Okay, your family gets investigated, things get confiscated, but you know, your house gets taken apart, depending on what it is. You're taken away from your life and your loved ones for a period of time. And whether or not you're guilty of whatever it is that you were charged with, your life changes completely because they took authority over you. When you when I, let me say that, when I've worked with people coming back out of a jail or prison system situation, many of them talk about the dehumanizing experience that that is. Like they lose all authority over everything. I mean, they they can't open doors. They can't eat on when they need to, you know, everything in their world is controlled and they're locked down and they're shut down. And, you know, it's a pretty bad situation. So from your experience of working with people to give them back dominion over themselves. I don't know if you've worked in other countries where people have been um, hurt or taken hostage or any of those. If you have, talk to me about how do you reclaim authority over yourself when you've lost it all?
1: Well, you really haven't lost it all. If you are able to really keep your own authority because you may be in a prison and have to do this at that time and that another time and and can't go here and have to have wear these stupid clothes and so on. And we are in a punishment system. We have a, a, a eye for an eye kind of a system. Whereas the Nordic countries and some other countries have a rehabilitation system. They look at rehabilitating the person while they're inside, so that when they go outside, they can actually be contributing members of society again. So that instead of being somebody who is having to be taken care of the rest of their life through either the prison system, because America has 80% recidivism, we return 80% of the people back to prison. What kind of a system is that? And if we don't want that, if we want to spend money wisely, what we do is do a rehabilitation system so we give people tools like this stoic stoic ideas of i'm in this prison cell what can i do to enhance my life in prisons they actually let you do reading they let and, and other kinds of things that somebody could upgrade themselves if they can read Many of the people who are in prisons can hardly read at all. So when we teach people reading, and there's some reading techniques that have been developed that can teach you how to be able to read a new language within 90 days, reading it so well you could read a newspaper. But who knows about these things? well i do and the peacemaker circles do and, and and a number of other people that i've been meeting with and greeting with and and integrating and 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 merging with and so on so to speak we all do and it's our job it's that's what you're doing so well joy you do this all the time you're bringing experts in all these fields into a chance to be able to expose the change makers that have either the money, rather than just shortchanged like the peacemakers. The ones who make wars are getting all the money. The ones who imprison people are getting all the money, not the rehabilitators. So when we switch that and we rehabilitate, we then have a thriving society. We have a society for the benefit of all the citizens. It sounds like something called the golden rule rather than the ones who have the gold rule.
0: They're different. So let's talk about the prison system that you went into and you worked in. And um, in, was it Sweden? That yes. You in? So talk to us about that, because this is about looking at authority, gaining your own authority, being hired by people who have authority to work with people who have authority and then make changes. So talk to us about how that experience affected your ability to think and be more functional in a world that's under a lot of distress over authoritarian situations and domination.
1: Well, it's interesting, this whole thing about this authority, again, when we actually realize that there's the only authority – is really within oneself, is really that I I have authority over this thing that sees you or hears you. I have authority of how I look at life. I can look at it on the bright side of life, or I can look at it as all evil. There was a great teacher in India. He was the teacher of a guy that Indians would call God. His, that guy's name was Rama. You might have heard a Hari Rama, Hari Krishna kind of thing.
0: Okay.
1: Well, this Rama guy, his teacher, who taught him how to shoot a bow and arrow, build his own mud hut, and live in the forest and jungle for a while, and then go take over a kingdom and rule wisely, he asked his teacher, they call him gurus over in India, and he asked his teacher, he says, Oh, Guruji, what is your highest teaching? Before he went over to, back to take over the kingdom. And the guru just turned to him and he says, the world is as you see it. So he was the first psychologist, I think. (laughs) He could have have been the Monty Python, you know, uh, the uh, life of Brian up on the cross and saying, always look on the bright side of life. He's dying, right? But he's looking on the bright side of life. Does he feel better dying? Hell yes. Or I shouldn't even say hell yes, excuse me. But yes, he did. So how we look at life, how we treat life, how it affects us. Now, how do we get a person who's been in prison, incarcerated in America, be able to experience more freedom? We can teach him the trauma tapping technique. We can because they've been traumatized in there. We can teach them the the switching uh, technique that we've developed and so on. That's in the book "Winning Ways for Living." That you mentioned four books that I've I've written. Well, two out of the four books were actually bestsellers in the first three weeks on on Amazon. First three weeks on Amazon, they get to be a bestseller. Now, it must be pretty good in it. So when we read that and use it, the key is the use. Uh huh. Like. Me talking about a mango, which I so love. Mangoes are such a good fruit for me. Instead of just talking about all the nutrients and the values of it, I also like to eat it. So I like an intellectual stimulation. The left brain needs stimulation. But I like the enjoyment of eating it, which stimulates my right brain. Uh So here we are. We're using our whole brain, experiencing our whole body, to be able to have power over all of it
0: so when you were talking about we sort of skipped past the sweden thing with the prison what does that mean what happened when you were over there and you got to go do some work with them they
1: got to learn how to how to meditate
0: well so let's had, hold on hold on let's back up it's like we skipped a piece how did you go from being a a coach or a teacher in this in this body of knowledge how in the world did you become a gu- a guide or a trainer or a teacher in a prison
1: this is all in a way you could in india they would say it's your karma and it's the law of attraction i think there's one of those kind of laws or whatever is that when we put it, when something is good it attracts the things that need it and so it's it's like a, a flower attracts a bee it needs the bee, but uh-huh. how does it attract it? It puts out this this let's say this need and, and that that feeling attracts that bee or the hummingbird, which is a totem of mine. And when it attracts it, it gets fueled. And so in teaching these people in prison the simple psychosomatic spiritual practice, these people were able to use that force of clarity of mind. Who had clarity of mind when they were in their ghetto, in their in the prison? Who had clarity of mind when they were homeless? Who had clarity of mind when they were on drugs? Who had clarity of mind when they got beat up by somebody who was arresting them? Or, you know, and all these different things that that cause people to have their mind discombobulated, having it get totally messed up. We get to get it unmissed. And so we use a tool like that. So when they use it, they get the benefit of it. And it's like eating that mango.
0: So there was some prison that asked you to come teach them something that you knew because that particular prison was involved in rehabilitation and working to help their people when they left, be able to rebuild and resustain and reorient their lives, right? So they didn't recidivate.
1: You know, what happened actually is that uh, I had given this keynote speech in Copenhagen about a a few months before, and Turbjorn Stockfeld, who was the organizer of that particular uh, event, and, and a person I was working with at Stockholm University, Uh, I was doing a graduate class for him. Uh, He got me to do it for these prison wardens and priests. because He had heard me speaking about how it's applicable to not only sports, but business. It's applicable to so many other areas. This is what I bring forth. I mean, the very first thing I do when I got up on the keynote speech was getting all these academicians and sports psychologists to do a Watusi jump. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's a Wadusi jump? It's an activator, and it stimulates the oxygenation of your brain. That gets it so that you can pay attention easier. It gets the blood flowing. It gets it so that you're 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 getting just feeling so loose and relaxed that you can actually pay attention to me more. So that's a good thing to be able to end our class with. No, we won't do that now. But uh, yeah.
0: So you were asked to come speak. You got to teach prison wardens and priests in the prison how to use the tools that you're using in the in the mainstream and with athletes and with businesses. Uh And it's the same skill set. So the fact of the matter is we could start teaching these kinds of things to people who work in prisons, to people who work in first responder situations, Oh, yes. People who work virtually everywhere with intense or stressed out people and it would help them to cope. I know that when I did a study in Whatcom County on the on what happens to people who get arrested, and I discovered that within, you know, a matter of hours of banging in a 911 situation, whether they were guilty or not, if they get arrested and they go to prison or go to jail just even before their arraignment there's an enormous amount of tension and stress and trauma that can happen to them that even if they're not guilty, they still experience it. So learning how to not cause so much trauma would be a good thing by police officers and first responders and people in charge, even of booking or in charge of running the courtrooms or anything else. This is the kind of personal integrity, personal authority that you could develop over yourself just so that you can treat people around you who are in misfortunate situations or have caused trauma to help them heal better so they they don't continue to escalate the trauma and harm in totally. their lives.
1: Totally. And you know, you brought up the trauma again. And I just had an experience during a deposition of an experience that I had I guess it's about 5 years now or so ago uh at a place called Saugus High School there was a mass shooting there a student killed a bunch of students and I was there as a substitute teacher doing an English class I think it was and and because of my background in stress management and sports psychology and all that uh I was able to help a lot of students where the counselors, when we finally evacuated and so on over to a to a park, I was counseling about a hundred students and they were the counselors were counseling themselves. And I had these students, talking to them about breathing this way, talking to them about your friends if they're, they've are they been evacuated and everything is kosher, the police are there and so on, everything's being handled. And I'm calming them down through this breathing practice and, the, and so on and so forth. And it ended up that I actually got post-traumatic stress syndrome for the first time. And in this deposition, I actually started to break down. Here's this man who's taught all this. And it was like the... A, It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. But when this happened, I said, I need some time. And so we got off the the call for five minutes, and I did peace and everything, everything with peace.
0: That's your meditation.
1: Meditation practice, rocking back and forth with my hands coming to my heart as I'm breathing in, saying peace and everything, and as I'm breathing out everything with peace. And I just rock back and forth doing that for five minutes. For two more hours, I went through this deposition without ever breaking down. And yet having to, quote, in a way, relive that experience.
0: So what you're saying is that you learned how to actually work with things in in a minute, in that particular case, you learned how to deal with some things. But uh, over time, Stress can get to you, your power over your authority. You don't have the practice and the experience of dealing with this stuff all day long and all the time. Mm -hmm. And so you may weaken, but then you can take, you can retake possession over yourself with your own skill set and become your own authority again.
1: Yes. You see, that's the beauty of like this friend of mine, Wolf Sandstrom. He he! I gave him this switching technique that I, I teach people on on switching negative behaviors or negative habits into positive ones. Uh-huh. It's a psychosomatic spiritual practice, and he has a, something called the trauma tapping technique. So he takes that, and he's been over in the Belgian Congo where they had the child soldiers, where they had to kill their friends and so on. He had he went into Rwanda after the genocide. And he left them for the first time ever since those incidences dancing and singing again, Wow! using these practices. They are effective when you work it. It's like there's something called the 12 step programs and the 12 step program saying, basically one of the sayings is it works when you work it and you're worth it. (laughs) Everybody is worth it because everybody for me is a child of the highest consciousness, of the of the highest power, which is what the 12-step programs, or God, or Allah, however you want to term the do, or do debt.
0: <laughs> so we have just a minute or two left here, Kurt. Talk to me, or talk to our readers about... So we have just another couple minutes here, Kurt, in order to wrap up this whole conversation about personal authority, or authentic authority, where you're talking about dealing with these things that most of us in the justice system think are, think are scary. What is it that you would like to close our conversation with um, around that subject of learning how to work with and how to develop your own authority over your own dominion?
1: Approaching anybody and everything from a positive outlook because that's what you want too often we look at the things in the what we don't want i don't i don't want to get shot or i don't want to have this person attack me or all these fearful things we're looking on the fear side when we look on the positive side we approach a situation totally differently we 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 Come in with a different vibe, you might say, as they used to say in the 60s. <laughs> now, you know, you know, you feel better around some people. You want to talk to them for some reason. Or you want to, you know, like, instead of asking a question, how are you? I say, what's bringing you joy today? Or how are you being more peaceful today? It gets a person to reflect. And when we reflect on a situation, before we go into it, what do I want to get out of this situation? I want the positive.
0: Well, that okay. might mean, for example, if you were in a in a tense situation, it's looking at the situation and saying, if there was a way out, how could I help the way out work? And so it's not just, it's not a matter of power of positive thinking. It's actually looking at what is the action I can take that will get a different result or will change the outcome is that, would you say that that's true
1: oh totally and the thing that allows that is getting your mind calm so that you can have reflection because otherwise you're you're just in reaction mode rather than reflection mode and it's much much different and a much different response from both sides
0: so it's really about response ability, the ability to respond and taking authority over that instead of reacting without any authority at all.
1: You answered your question.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kurt. Thank you for coming on the call. I I appreciate the conversation. It's a little bit different than what some of our past radio shows have been about, <laughs> um, but I'm very grateful. Thank you so much, Kurt.
1: I hope it worked for you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you all for joining us on iChange Change Justice podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you all for listening. Please share our podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, or from your favorite playlists. At therestorativecommunity.org, you're invited to subscribe to our newsletter, connect through social media, or send us feedback on our shows. If you're inclined to help, you can volunteer, donate, learn more, and connect at info at the restorativecommunity.org. Contributing helps us empower those silenced by oppression so they can emerge into their higher potential. Thank you.